Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, good to be here. Would you join me in the book of Numbers, chapter 31 this morning? Numbers, chapter 31. I'm not going to read this entire chapter. I'm going to read a few passages out of this chapter, and we'll leave the rest up to you as you are led to read. Uh, We find in chapter 31 and verse 1 another one of the statements uh, that the Lord makes here in the book of Numbers, as we find it so often in these first five books of the Old Testament, as well as through the rest of the Bible, that it is the Lord that is speaking, and he spake to Moses, saying, and it's, it's just wonderful sometimes to be reminded of the power of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, and we, we have that brought out in two or three places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that I'd like to look at just briefly as we uh, pass through this. But the Lord spake unto Moses. Now, almost every incident that we ever hear the Lord speaking, it is not a suggestion, it is a command. When it comes to uh, uh, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not a suggestion, that is a command. We are commanded to believe. Now, we find that in our natural state, it's an impossibility, but it's still, we are commanded. God has stated that. But I would like you, if you would, to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be right back here and looking at this holy war that God brought on the Midianites. But join me, if you would, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. And we have some interesting verses of Scripture with regard to the power of God's Word. The same word that he spoke to Moses in this incident is the same word that it took to create the heavens and the earth. He is an all-powerful, and his voice means something. And when he speaks to us, it is a command. Here in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, we find these thoughts with regard to uh, the word of the Lord, the word of God, there in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29, is not my word like as a fire? It, it is powerful. And then he goes on to say, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock to pieces. Now this is the promise of God when it comes to saving his lost sheep, We, by nature, in our undone and in our uh, fallen state in Adam, we have just as much desire to hear the Word of God as we heard in the Bible class this morning. We have no interest in it. It is not given to us to understand the Word of God. We can't figure it out. And we are in the same position that the Ethiopian eunuch was. How shall I know except, except some man tell me? Now, The Lord had already worked on him and made him want to hear something, and the Lord has to work on us in order for us to want to hear something. So this word of God is powerful. It's like a fire, and it's like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, and truly that is what he does for us. Another verse of Scripture I want to look at is found in the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 24. The book of Luke chapter 24 is we find these words about the word of God. And the Word of God is the best uh, commentary on the Word of God that we'll ever find. Here is what we read in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 32. These words are recorded with regard to uh, uh, the Word of the Lord. In verse 32 of this chapter, it shares this. 
And they said one to another. Now, these are the two on the road to Damascus. The Lord spoke to them, but he did not reveal himself to begin with. You know, that's the Lord's prerogative. That's the Lord's sovereignty. That's the Lord's doing. That's what he does. And we find that he often did that when he healed somebody. He didn't reveal himself to them until later. Here it says, and they said one to another. Now, he had spoken to them and opened the scriptures to them. He had revealed himself in the Old Testament scriptures. He said, and they said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? Now, they were believers. And the word of God in the heart of a believer, as it, it, it has that warming effect, but it also has that powerful effect. And it says, while he talked with us, by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures. How beneficial is that warming, that fire of God in the hearts of believers when he reveals to us the scriptures, when he lets us know, he unlocks them for us and shares with us the truth of the scriptures. Now, I don't know of anyone that would confess the fact or confess that they know all the scriptures. In fact, it's only a fool that would say that, but we find out we're thankful for what the Lord has opened to us. If it is a minuscule amount, it is more than we ever would have by nature. So to have that revealed to us, and then if you look ahead just a little bit in the book of John, as the Lord spoke to Moses, and he's going to give Moses a command. This is what he's going to do there in the book of Deuteronomy. But let's look here in the book of John chapter 6. Now, in the words that he spoke to those on the road to Damascus, and those that he speaks here in John chapter 6, verse 63, they are no different than what Moses was going to share with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. There's never a contradiction with the word of God. We believe that God inspired the Word of God, that it is God given to us. You know, if we took a survey, and I was, I was just reading recently about a survey that was given among quote unquote uh, Christian denominations, and 80, from 50 to 80 percent of the pastors of those churches in the survey said they did not believe that the Bible was divinely inspired. Well, what's the use? Why have it? Why say I'm a preacher uh, of the Word of God when I don't even believe it? Well, God must give us a hearing ear. God must give us an understanding. And then it's our life. It's our, it's our uh, water. It's our food. It's everything that God requires that we have, and we delight in it, and it warms us, and it's powerful, and it's the only thing that we have to speak to people about. We, if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible, then we don't have much to talk about. And if they say, I believe the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible, that gives us something to talk about because it's the Word of God. All right, here in the book of John, chapter 6 and verse 63, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. What a statement. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. What that word quickeneth gives us life. What is that? The new birth. What is that? It's a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the flesh profiteth nothing. Now, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we have this wonderful statement made by the Lord that gives us the information about the word of God that we so need and we desperately need. And we need that as, as a Christian every day. We need that life given to us. 
placed in us. And so as Moses speaks or is spoken to over here by the Lord, his word is powerful. Hebrews chapter, was it 4 verse 12, is powerful, quicker, and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's just the power of the word of God. And I pray that we don't lose the very truth of that, that it is the word that has its power because it has the spirit behind the word of God. And we preach the word, we declare the word, we share the word. It's a joy when God opens the doors that we get to share the word of God because now it's it's out of our hands, but it is in the hands of a powerful God, almighty God, a God whose word is so uh, vibrant and can cause life to be born as a result of it. So it's no trivial thing, and we don't need any extra church uh, organizations to do that. It's, it's the business of believers to do this. All right, let's go back over here to the book of... Uh, of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers. If you turn with me to the book of Numbers, and there in chapter 31, Numbers chapter 31, and there in verse 2, now we have the word of the Lord, the word of Jehovah came to Moses, and here is his word, avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites, And then the Lord says, Moses, afterward, you shall be gathered unto thy people. What's that mean? After this, you're going to die. Moses has already been shared that. He's already been, has that uh, information given to him. And, but this is one thing left that I want you to do. Avenge the children of the Midianites. You know, whether we like it or not. And the the church says, you know, Lord, I just don't understand this, but I believe that you do this because it's in your word. And it's not for us to understand. It's for us to trust the Lord in. And why, why in the world did does the Lord differentiate between people? Because he's sovereign. He is God. And it doesn't matter whether someone says or I say, you know, I just don't think that's fair. That is God's choice and God's choice in the matter. And his word declares that he has the right to do this. You know, uh, turn back with me as we think about this. Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. He is going to call for a holy war. He is going to go and call on Israel, a thousand out of every tribe, to go in and take care of the Midianites. And they are going to. All right. But before we get there, turn with me back to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord shares with Abraham some information about the children of Abraham that have yet to be born. There's generations that are going to take place here before this is fulfilled. And it's found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16. Now the Lord can do as he pleases because he is the God of creation. He's the God of heaven and earth. He is the creator of all things. He can do uh, as we find that uh, he's revealed unto the prophet and he reveals unto us through the prophet and the minister uh, uh, Paul. He says, does not the potter have power over the clay? 
Now, if we say that he doesn't, then we're arguing with God, and only a natural man will argue with God. The rest of us can say, I don't understand it. But listen to this. God is speaking to Abraham, and he is talking about generations after this. But your people, uh, he says, let me back up here just a moment. Verse 13, and he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Now, this is God speaking about what is going to happen with the children of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and twelve tribes of Israel are going to go down into Egypt, and they're going to be there and be afflicted for 400 years. You know, the, the land that they inherited or the land that they go into, just as we conclude the book of Deuteronomy and as we open up the book of Joshua, they had lived there for a long time. God had already placed Abraham there. He'd already had Isaac there. He had Jacob there. He had the 12 sons of Jacob and the tribes beginning in that land. And they're taken down to Egypt because of a famine. And now Abraham, years and years before the fact, he said, you are, your people, are your, uh, 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 know of a surety, your seed. And verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Afterward shall they go out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, back to this place. But notice the last phrase, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, full knowledge of that, I don't understand it completely. But I understand this, that God had determined that these people called the Amorites, they're going to be full and full and full before he judges them. And that's when the children of Israel will be taken out of Egyptian bondage. He has shown us here this great truth about why he is going to detain them there. The fullness of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, he shares with us years later, after this event, while the children of Israel are down in Egypt, he shares with us through Moses, as Moses spoke to Pharaoh, and Moses is recorded there in the book of Exodus, but it's also recorded in the book of Romans, that as Moses speaks to the king of Egypt, a great and powerful man, it doesn't take us long to figure out that this man was powerful when we look at the realm that he was a ruler over. He ruled over a great empire. And it says that Moses walked up to tell him this, For this very reason has God raised you up, that he might show his power in you. Now, turn with me, if you would, that's, that's in Exodus, but turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we find these words. Now, this is very unpopular among religious people. Even when I was in Bible school for that very small time and didn't even know the gospel, 
I was told that this whole section is a parenthetical statement and it doesn't need to be read because it could be just set out over here and we can go from chapter 8 until chapter 12. Well, that is just exactly opposite of what the Lord said in the book of Revelation that if you take out part of his word, you are a great crime has been committed if you add to or diminish from the word of God. So we're just going to believe that it is the word of God in Romans chapter 9, and there in verse 17, we read these words. For, let me get to Romans. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh... Now, the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to quote an Old Testament verse and use it for his message. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Why did God share with Moses that I want you to avenge against the Amorites? Because he has the, or the Midianites, he has the right to. Here it goes on to say, I have raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. This God has the ability of having his word declared throughout all the world. And when he does, when the gospel is preached about this great and mighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-knowing God, it is going to strike the hearts of his lost sheep in whatever small partition of the world they are in, and he is going to reach them with this knowledge that the Savior, the Savior of his people, is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign God, and that he is doing what he is doing on purpose and not by mistake. I remember Brother... Uh, reading about Brother uh, Rob Barnard asking somebody one time, were you saved on purpose or were you saved by mistake? Well, we're saved on purpose, according to purpose. So it's not a mistake when God saves anybody. It is on purpose. It's not as a result of their influence or their power or their will. All right. And the same passage of Scripture here in the book of Romans chapter 9, would you turn with me there to verse 21? Verse 21. This is why he could command Moses to take vengeance. It tells us there, hath not the potter power over the clay. Another quote from the Old Testament. Hath not the potter power over the clay. Don't ever diminish the power of God. Don't ever take away from his word when it is so powerfully written that he has the power over the clay God has the power of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor. Now, you know, it is only by the grace of God that any of us could be called a vessel of honor. By the grace of God alone. But he goes on to say, and another to dishonor. Now, what he wants to do with that clay is his business. You know, the Lord said, I have made all things for myself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now, I know that's not popular, but that's the God of the Bible. He was not a popular God. And his prophets were not popular, and his preachers were not popular. What is it? All of the disciples the Lord had, except for John, 
One went out and hung himself, but he's replaced, and the rest all died a martyr's death except John. Why? Because they hated him. They hated him. They hated James. Why did he preach the gospel? Stephen, he preached the gospel, and the gospel goes contrary to natural man's thoughts. And here we have one of those things. It just upsets people. Hath not the potter power of the clay? And in verse 22, what if God willing to show his wrath? Oh, no, God's a God of love. God wants everybody. No, and make his power known, endured much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. I have made them for this very reason. And people, by our nature, go contrary to that because we just do not know God. Adam and Eve hid themselves because they did not know him anymore. The light had been taken from them. Darkness fell on them, and it's been passed down to every generation. There in, uh, if you back up to verse 18 of this Romans chapter 9, it says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he'll have mercy. You know, he was merciful to Israel for no other reason than his grace, nothing else. He was merciful to Abraham to call him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He is not a special person in the sense that he was down there worshiping God. In fact, Joshua said he was worshiping all kinds of God. He was a pagan. He was a lost man without help and without hope and without God in his world. And Stephen said the God of glory appeared unto him and brought him out of that state brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. The only thing that Abraham could delight in was the Lord. He couldn't delight in his works. He couldn't delight in his prayers. He couldn't delight in anything. It was the grace of God alone. And what about Isaac? The same thing. And what about Jacob? The same thing. And what about the the 12 tribes of Israel? The same thing. Only the grace of God. And grace of God shares with us that If he does not get involved with his grace, people will not know a thing about him. And it's so evident as we follow the children of Israel through the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. All right, in in verse 18, he hath mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he will he hardness. Now I'm thankful for the grace of God because that is what I deserved. I deserved hardening, I deserved being raised up for only one reason, that he might show his power in his destruction. I was raised up, uh, as we find there in the Proverbs, the Lord hath made all things, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. But God, in his infinite mercy and grace, his great love wherewith he loved us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How glorious, how glorious do we delight in all of that and so, as we go over here, once again, to the book of, of uh, uh, Deuteronomy, excuse me, Numbers chapter 31, Numbers chapter 31, and there in verse 2, avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites, afterward shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand, throughout all the tribes of Israel, shall you send to war. 
So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Moses sent them to the war, and a thousand of every tribe, uh, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian. There is one thing that we find in the scriptures about our warfare today. The Lord does not command us to go and put people down and argue with them with physical arms. We have something much more powerful than that. The religious wars of the day, the religious wars in the years past. You know, Brother Ed and I were talking the other day about the uh, independence that Britain gave to India. And instantly, a civil war broke out between the Muslims and the Hindus. And now we have Pakistan or Bangladesh. You know, it's just so common that people will get into a a war over religion. But our warfare, turn with me to the Second Corinthians. We have something much more powerful, something much more that God has given. Now, what he did over there is his business. That's what he did. He is God. He can order that. He did order that. And they went out and slew all the males of the Midianites. Now, God's going to share with us in just a little bit that these are the people that caused the children of Israel to sin after Balaam, that he used the women of the Midianites to lead the children of Israel astray. And we have that brought out there in the book of Jude, as Mike has been going through there. But look with me here in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, the physical sword has never convinced anybody of anything. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You can hold a sword at their throat, but they will not change their mind. They may say with, with their words, but their heart is not changed. God demonstrates that as he walks with us, walks with the children of Israel through the Old Testament. And he brought great blessings upon the children of Israel, and then he would punish them. As we heard read this morning, There about the thousands that were slain when that plague broke out. Did you read there, though, after the plague of Korah, the people came to Moses and said, you've killed the people of the Lord. <laughs> well, don't think for a moment you would have done anything different. We won't. We must have the grace of God. All right, here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of what? Of Christ. What do we have? What was used on you? Was it a physical sword at your throat, or was it the sword of the Spirit? Well, we know the answer to that. 
It's the sword of the Spirit that God used on us. It was the Word of God that God brought to us. It was a convincing power of the Holy Spirit that God intervened in us. It is the power of God, and it brought down strongholds. It brought down imaginations, all of the false things that we believed about God and about his word and people had told us and we'd give our eye teeth for because we just believed it with all the fiber we had, our natural estate, we believe this, we believe that. You know what? I went down to Bible school and was changed from an Arminian to a Calvinist, but I hadn't been changed in heart and, you know, there wasn't a nickel's worth of difference. Calvinism is not going to save anybody. The doctrines of grace is not going to save anybody. It's Christ. And then we learn those great truths of the gospel that God saves sinners, and he does it on purpose because he had it had a plan before the foundation of the world, and he's carrying it out. He has a purpose. So we find those things out, but just believing some doctrine doesn't save one person. Never has, never will. Here he says, casting down imaginations in every high thing. You know, there was nobody so important to us. <laughs> we are pretty high. That, can you imagine that, uh, that Pharisee there at the temple? I mean, he didn't bow his head. <laughs> bringing, down, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know what Christ does? He brings us to him. He reveals himself to us, and then we, like those two on the road to Emmaus, say, did not our hearts burn within us when he revealed the scriptures to us? Oh, my goodness. We see Christ and nothing else. We see the purpose of God. We see it is the Son of God that was sent to save us, and God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agree completely on how they're going to save people. And if you don't believe the Father, and what he had to say about himself, you don't believe Christ. That's all there is to it. They, You must, if you believe Christ, you're going to believe everything that the Father had to say. Now, we may not understand it, but we're going to say yes and amen. He has the ability of having mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he will. He can do with what he will. This whole chapter shares with us much about Israel and much about the enemy of God. I I would like you to turn with me again to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'm just going to read verse 22. Now there's a big message in chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel. But here in verse 22, we read this. The Lord didn't do with what he did with Israel because of Israel. He did it because of himself. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Two names of God attached to this message to Israel, the house of Israel. I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my own 
holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whether ye went. I don't save people for themselves. I save them because of my glory. I save them because of my grace. It isn't because of what we did or said or how we bowed or how we prayed, but our salvation is the glory of God. There's no greater glory than God saving his people from their sins. And we find as Moses asked the Lord to show me your glory, and he hit him in the cleft of the rock, and you know what he said unto him? I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. That's the glory of God. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and whom I will I hardeneth, whom I will I'll love. We love him because he first loved us. So we have this great statement about the, the power that God had and has and will ever have. We have why he chose Israel for God's own glory. We have his power of his word that he sends out through his instruments today uh, as, you know, as, as sinful and as lowly and as his instruments are. It's his word that goes out. Did you notice that we had some trumpets that go out with this warfare against the, the Midianites? The priest took some trumpets. You know, that, that's such a... The trumpet, the power of that trumpet, the power of the trumpet of the gospel that God sends out. We're just, we're just reporters. We're just spokesmen for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he takes it out and he does as he pleases with that. And the Apostle Paul, using those trumpets as a symbol, says, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, what, what will the army do? Well, we don't want an uncertain sound. We want the word of God as what comes out of it. Now, if you turn back with me to the book of the book of uh, Numbers, Numbers chapter 31, and verse 4, it says there, Of every tribe, a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel shall yet shall you send to war. Twelve thousand men are taken into war, and we find out that they slew the men of Midian and the kings of Midian. And in verse 8, it tells us here also that someone that we have heard about before here in Numbers chapter 16, we heard it read this again this morning, and also over in the book of Jude, we read about him, and uh, is it first, first or second Peter? Balaam. We had those three chapters about Balaam here in the book of Numbers, and it says here, among the five kings of Midian, Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. You know what? He's on the wrong side. Even though God used him to speak great things about God and the great things about Israel, he's on the wrong side. He knew nothing about the grace of God, and he is slain with a sword. And then we find that the, those that went into war, chapter uh, 31, verse 14, now Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have you saved all the women alive? 
Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You know, there's much more said in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about spiritual fornication and spiritual adultery than there is about the uh, physical. And these women caused many of the Israelites to commit spiritual fornication and took them after other gods. And here they are bringing them along. You know, the Lord is quite explicit. We cannot take any of our old idols with us in this journey. In fact, if we do, we have just not seen the grace of God. He takes our idols. He causes himself to be our idol, object of worship. I'll never forget what Brother Mahan said one time, that someone said, told him, you've just made Jesus an idol. And he said, that's the greatest compliment I've ever been paid because an object of worship, Jesus is our object of worship. And Lord, help us to have no others. These people came back, no doubt they had been instructed of the, what is the totality of this warfare? What is the totality of going into battle? What are you supposed to take care of? What are you supposed to do? And they brought back, much like in the days of, of Saul, that prophet one said, uh, what do I hear? What meaneth the lowing of the cows and the bleating of the sheep? They'd been ordered to dis take care of everything, and they brought them back. Well, the instructions are given here, and then we find that there is part of the booty that will be shared. Now, we find in this verse 22, only the gold and the silver, the brass, the iron, and the tin, and the lead, everything that may abide the fire, shall, ye shall make it go through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with water of separation. And uh, verse 26 and take the sum of the prey that was taken, both of men and of beasts, thou and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the prey into two parts, between them that took the war unto them and between uh, and went out to battle, and between all the congregation. You know that would, that verse just came off the page with me when I said, "Oh my goodness, here's twelve thousand that went to war, but the congregation gets to share." You know. I was taught that if you're more faithful, you would get more. You know what? There is no such things as reward. We Everybody shares equally here. We find that the Bible teaches us that everything is shared equally. You know, the Bible tells us about the Lord in a parable hiring some men for a penny. Now, that's a day's wages. You know, that could be two or three hundred dollars today hired for a penny, and they agreed with it. And then through the midday, hired some more. In the afternoon, hired some more. And an hour to go, hired some more. Guess what? They all got the same pay. And there was a bunch of people, oh, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, here we find that the tribute that was given unto them, there's three piles going to be. 
There's going to be for those who went to war, those in the congregation, and some of it went to the Levites because it was tribute to the Lord. They inherited so much equal. It is where we are. We find out that we have so much given to us in Christ Jesus. If uh, there in the book of Luke chapter 17 is that parable in uh, Let's see here. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 15. You know where I'm going. This is what the Lord said to Abraham. All these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You know what? That is said to everyone that God has ever saved. I am your exceeding great reward. There is nothing found in Scripture about being more faithful and given more rewards because we find out that we are just, what is that in the, oh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Turn there with me if you would. I thought this was the parable. It is not. It's found in the book of Matthew. In Luke chapter 17, verse 7. We want to read three or four verses right here. In Luke chapter 17, verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field... Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty today to do. You know, the Lord is so gracious to us to call us out of darkness to his marvelous light. And we find out he gives every believer a gift. And every believer's gift complements other believers' gift. And there is no room and there's no need. And there, in fact, there is no jealousy among the body about the gifts that are given because they all complement. But the gifts that are given are given severally. That means sovereignly. God has determined what he's going to give to anybody. And in, in the last and final look at things, we just simply say, I only did what, what does it say there? Was my duty to do. I only did what the Lord asked me to do. There's nothing special in me. I didn't go beyond. I could not go beyond. This is what he gave me. And then we find over there in the book of uh, in the book of First uh, Chronicles. Turn back with me, if you would, to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee. What is this? I believe this is Solomon talking. And he says, For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. 
For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee an house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand. It is all thine own. (laughs) What do we have that we were not given? What do we have that we were not given? All of it belongs to him anyway. And so as the word came back, the people are returning from this great battle, the holy war that God commanded to take place. We find that the congregation and the people and the Lord were all to benefit. You know, the scriptures tell us, let's quickly go back. I don't want to over, since we didn't have a song service, I don't want to go over time. But uh, I, I would you that turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 43. Excuse me, numbers. Someday. I will learn where I am. Numbers chapter 31, verse 43. Now the half that pertaineth unto the congregation was 300,000, 30,000, and 7,500 sheep. 337,500 sheep. That's what the congregation gets. You know, the men that went into battle, they got that. The congregation got that. The Lord got part of it. It was split so graciously. And that's what we get. Everybody gets their penny. Everybody that God ever saves is going to get salvation. And what glorious salvation we have. And then it says there in verse 44, and 36,000 beeves and 30,000 asses and 500 and 16,000 persons or servants that were brought in. My, my, my. What a statement about God's great grace. These people, I can just see them, many of them stayed behind because they weren't called to go, and they prayed about what was happening over there in the battle. And when they got back, the people says, you know what, we're dividing all of this equally. Even those who sat here and prayed for us as we went, everybody in the church is equal. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond or free. Everybody is equal before the Lord. I liked what one preacher said, the ground is flat at the cross. Everybody's saved the same way, by the same grace, has the same salvation, has the same Lord, has the same God, has the same indwelling Holy Spirit, has the same forgiveness of sin. In fact, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, one verse in Romans chapter 8 that I want to read that is just so powerful because it shares with us what the gift that God gave to us in verse 32, that great list there, but in verse 32, it says, He that spared not his own son. Isn't that an interesting statement? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now, the first thing we do is just go to who is this book written to, and we find out it was written to Christians. That's who he was sent for, was those that God would save. But he goes on to say, How shall he not with himself, with him also freely give us all things. He's given us the absolute most best, his son. He's not going to hold back 
spiritual blessings. We have every spiritual blessing given unto us. We have all the inheritance. Everyone shall be presented spotless. Everyone inherits the same. The ground is flat at the cross. We will be all bowing before the Lord. Now, if he's going to have any segregation in heaven, it's going to be the first one that died first and then work backwards. I don't know how it's going to be, but everybody will be able to see the Lord high and lifted up. Everyone will see Christ. Everyone will worship him. And so shall he not give us, freely give us all things. And finally, if you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. As we read about their God-ordained, God-purposed, God-determined, God sent those soldiers into warfare, and he had a business to tend to with those men. When they came back with all of the booty, Moses was very upset that they had disobeyed on one part. Read that. He's very upset. You know, uh, a lot of people have better ideas about what to do than God. You just run into them all the time. They have a better idea about what to do than God has ordained. And so God straightened that up. But here, as we read about what was passed out to the, to the congregation and to the children of Israel, to those who went into war, read with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, These are the people of God that have been scattered due to persecution, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We all inherit the same. Jesus Christ the righteous. We bring nothing but our his robe of righteousness that he's given to us, that hope he's given to us. We appear before him complete whole, without spot or wrinkle, because of Jesus Christ, we inherit the same. And if we're doing something with the hopes of inheriting a better inheritance, whoa, stop, examine what is motivating us to do that, because it certainly is not God and it's not his spirit. Woe be to us who think by doing something we're going to get a better reward There is no greater reward than Jesus Christ the righteous. All right, Lord willing, we'll pick up with the next chapter here in the book of Deuteronomy. And the title of it will be Stay Here or Go There. If you don't mind reading it, we encourage you to.